Tonight, let's just move to Hebrews chapter 3. Quickly, in this time that we have left. And uh, now, from this chapter on, we are getting to the meat of what the book of Hebrews is all about. The first two chapters, in chapter 1, we saw the introduction of who the Son of God is. And then he, the writer began to make a very clear distinction between Jesus and angels. And again, the reason for that is because the Jewish people esteemed angels highly. So this writer wanted, wanted them to understand the Jesus I'm talking about is not on the same level as angels. If anything, he, Jesus, created the angels. So he, has, he uses the first two chapters to help us to understand that. And it, took a, it went through a great length to do that. Okay? Now in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, in light of the picture of Jesus, now this is me paraphrasing now, so this is not in your Bible. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you what it means by therefore. Therefore what? In light of the picture that has been painted for you of who Jesus is, of his superiority over angels, of his sharing in death and overcoming death, in light of all of this, therefore, do you follow me? Holy brethren. Now who is he calling holy brethren? Us. Us. I mean, I, I want you to see how God sees you. This is important because I keep on telling us we need to acquire the language of the kingdom. And that language is not Hebrew. It isn't Greek. It isn't Aramic. It is Sonish. S-O-N-I-S-H. Sonish. In other words, God speaks through his son. And everything now, our paradigm must change. You and I, when we read the scriptures, when we hear the scriptures, when we're speaking to one another, we need to speak, think in this new paradigm. Not English language, but Sunnish language. And by that I mean the language that God has created through and in the person of his son. God sees everything in the kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. And he speaks to us now, not by the prophets, not by the fathers, but by his son. So in spite of where you've been today, in spite of the things you did that you think, oh, wow, I blew it. I didn't do this right. I didn't do this, this way. God says you're a holy brother or a holy sister. Your holiness was not acquired because of you. It has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with him. And if we get to the end of this chapter tonight, you will understand why God is saying this and is speaking like this. So he said, therefore, holy brethren, look at the next thing he says, comma, partakers of the heavenly calling. Your calling is not of this earth. 
even though you live in this earth. Therefore, what I'm saying to you now is, even though I live in Bethlehem, Georgia, or in Beaufort, Georgia, or in Lawrenceville, Georgia, or in Snellville, Georgia, or wherever you are living, maybe in Lagos, Nigeria, I don't know where you're listening to this tape. Regardless of where you live, God does not want you to function according to the dictates of where you are in the present tense, but that you should have a heavenly focus and understand that your time here now is just a fraction, a nanosecond compared to where you're going. You have a destination that is beyond where you are. And that destination should determine what you're doing now. If you are go to go to Australia tonight, if you are to go to Australia tonight, because Australia has opposite seasons to the United States. In Australia right now, wait, we go into the spring, they go into the uh, winter. Okay? If you are to pack your bags because your destination is Australia, you won't be taking short knickers. You will not be taking shorts or bikinis. You're going to find sweaters. You're going to find nice, warm clothing, thermal underwears. Why? Because your destination calls for that. So the Bible says, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, because of who he is, he's gone through death, overcome it, he's taking care of your sins. Therefore, because of the holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So if people are bringing issues or things are, 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 are coming at you, they're trying to keep you on this terra firma, on this earthly planet, on this locality, you need to be telling yourself, I don't belong here. You need to, you, oh my God. You need to believe that and begin to not only believe in it, right believing leads to right behaving. Yes. You behave what you believe. Yes, sir. That's what happens. Amen? Amen? Okay. Wow. This is just one verse. Look at the time. So therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and a high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now notice what this writer says. He says we should consider the apostle and a high priest of a confession, which means apart from what God has already done, me, you need to be in agreement with that through what we confess. He is the apostle. What does that mean? The captain. The one who goes ahead. That word apostle is actually a, a, in the contemporary terms is a naval terminology. When navy ships are at sea. Chief is not here tonight. My chief. When the naval ships are at sea they go in formation. Don't be deceived. When you see on CNN, you just see a ship standing in the ocean. It's not, that ship is not alone. Anytime you find a, 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 a ship on the high seas, 
there are other ships that flank it all around it because they are all going out as a mission. And each ship has its own order for what to do. However, there is one that's ahead of all of them. That's in front, that leads the entire formation. In naval terms, that ship that leads the formation is called the apostleship. Apostleship. Which means that particular ship sees the enemy before the rest of them sees it. It's ahead of the formation. He's the one that enters the enemy territory first. He knows what's happening and can relate the rest of the formation to everybody else. So now, when this writer says, Jesus is not just Jesus. He's the apostle and the high priest of your confession. This is to corroborate what he just told us in Hebrews chapter 2. It's a high priest that can be touched by the feelings of your infirmities. Why? Because he's done it. He's been through it. He's the apostle of it. He went through what you are going through. He's experienced what you and I are experiencing. And by virtue of that experience, he says, I, 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 know, what, I know what's happening. I, I know the remedy for it. No corporation wants to hire a man or a woman that's green. You have a nice degree, just came out of school. You have no experience, no internship. You say you're a chemical engineer and they're going to just get you there and get you in the plan and say, okay, run our plan for us. Really? <laughs> you go through medical school, you say, I'm a, I'm, I'm a doctor now. Okay, all right. Uh, someone is having chest pains, cut the head and have a uh, heart surgery. Are you, are you kidding me? Everybody wants somebody with experience. So God is saying, Jesus has the experience. Consider his experience. Yes. Oh my goodness. My, 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 my. Not the angelic ones, but Jesus. He came in our form. Live in our world. Experience the same things you and I are experiencing. He was abused. He was betrayed. He was disappointed. He was hungered. He was tired. Everything we have to deal with, he had to deal with it. Consider him, the apostle of our confession. Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Who was faithful to him who appointed him. Oh my God. Really, I, I hope we can finish this chapter tonight, but it's going to be difficult. Who was faithful to him who appointed What was he faithful for? How was Jesus faithful? Do you guys think it was easy for God to become man and live around human beings that did not appreciate him? And yet, did not abort the mission? The Bible says he was faithful to him who appointed him. He went to that cross. He went into the grave and he came back out of that grave faithful. As Moses also was faithful in all of his house. Now, we are, we are getting to a little transition here because the first two chapters, this writer tried to assure these Hebrew believers that Jesus is not in the same league or category with angels. He's supreme. He's much more glorious. If there were any two institutions that the Hebrews or the Jews esteemed highly, angels were one and then Moses is another. 
So if this writer is ever to convince these believers that there is a new covenant and that this new covenant is more glorious than the old, he's going to have to deal with Moses. So now we are seeing the transition. Okay? He's saying, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. And all of us can learn something from this, from this style of this writer. Now, he's about to highly exalt Jesus. He's about to show us how much more glorious Jesus was over Moses. But notice how he does it. He does not diminish Moses to exalt Jesus. <laughs> he does not criticize Moses in order to glorify Jesus. We all, can, we all can take a cue from that. You don't put somebody else down in order to esteem somebody else. Each one of them have their place. And he just said it to us. Who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. You see, if he wants these guys to hear him out, he cannot criticize Moses. Because the moment he criticizes Moses, they shut him down. Oh, I don't know if you guys are hearing me. These are life applications for us. When you are dealing with situations in relationships with people, you don't diminish one person in order to esteem the other one. When you do that, the person you're talking to shuts yourself because you don't know what the allegiance is and you're telling somebody down in that person and say, well, yes. I can't trust this guy. Okay? All right. Verse 3. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. He who builds all things is God. Okay? Uh, where am I? Okay, I'm verse 5. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant. For a testament of those things which be spoken afterward. So you see again, this writer wants to show us that Jesus and Moses are not, are not in the same class, but also gives Moses some credit. Some, some credit. Why was Moses faithful in his house? How do we know that? Number one, God gave him instruction to build a tabernacle. He did it. He followed the instruction to the T. He did not deviate. He was faithful. Even though the Israelites were a pain in the neck to him, he led them. He didn't quit. Although he felt like quitting many times in the, in, in the tenor. Okay? All right. But in all of that, Moses at best was a servant in the house. Verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing in the, of the hope firm to the end. Okay? Uh, let, me, let me, what shall I address here? Um, so we know that Moses was faithful. Yes, he was glorious, but Jesus was much more glorious. 
And we see this in what God did in and through Moses. Uh, God justified him in Numbers chapter 12 when Miriam, his sister, came against him. God justified him in uh, Numbers chapter 16 when Korah and his sons came against him. But at no time did God ever call Moses a son. Only Jesus has that honor. So, in this comparison, we see that at baptism in Matthew chapter 3, in verses 16 and 17, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Call Jesus a son. And then at the, Mark, uh, no, not, not, at the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, in verse 7, when Moses and Elijah both appeared with Jesus. Now, this is very interesting. When they both appeared with Jesus, Moses on one end, Elijah on the other side, the Bible said, God said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. So even though you Jews really esteem Moses, I'm telling you, Moses, Jesus is the person you should be listening to. Amen? So, the writer is belaboring this point. He's belaboring this point so that we will understand clearly that Jesus is much more superior to anyone else we've ever seen. And this is God's final and complete revelation to mankind about redemption. So Jesus was not just a servant of God, he was also a son in the house, whereas Moses was only a servant. Amen? Okay. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Spirit, Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for the years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I think I need to deal with one thing that I missed here in verse 6. Let me go back to verse 6 and address this because I don't want to leave any question in anybody's mind. Look at what it says in verse 6. But but Christ as a son of his own house, whose house we are. Look at the next sentence. I don't want you guys to get tripped by this. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. If we hold fast. If is a conditional thing. If. So what does that mean? What happens if we don't hold fast? What happens? If we don't hold fast, what happens? Do you go to hell? Is that what he's saying? Wow. Some smart students here. So what happens if we don't hold fast? Because, it's, because it, it makes the emphasis here. It says, but Christ has a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Which means if I don't hold fast, there's a chance that I'm, I'm not a part of the house. So what is that referring to? Because it's important to decode that for it to have proper understanding. I'll give you, I won't go to the scriptures because of time, but I'll give the passage to you, but you can read it and we can talk about it. In Luke chapter 15, the so-called parable of the prodigal son. Two sons, both of them belonged to the house. One of his own volition decided to leave receive his inheritance. And as you know the story very well, went out and squandered his inheritance. 
became so poor, so devastated in his situation, the Bible says he came to his senses and remembered that, wait a minute, I don't have to be here. I can go back to my father's house. Minimally, my father will receive me back as a servant. And in my father's house as a servant, I'll be doing much better than I'm doing here with these pigs. And he said on the journey and went back home. Yes. How did the father receive him? As a servant or as a, as a son? Thank you very much. As a son. Restored back in the house. Robe on his neck. Fatted calf killed for him. Wonderful celebration. Yes. On the other hand, there was a son who was in the house who was outside of the house when this was happening. Who, when he came home, found out that I was partying and marrying, going on, and said, wait a minute, what's going on here? And they explained to him that your brother, who was dead, is now alive. And that that's the reason for the rejoicing and celebration. What happened? What was his disposition? He got angry. He was angry. I have been home all these years. You've never given me a party. Not as much as a father calf ever killed for me. The father said, come on, dick. Maybe that was his name, I don't know. <laughs> Everything of all this, all this has always been yours. What's the point I'm making? The older brother was outside of the house who came complaining was a son who has not held fast. He's still a son, but he's acting and behaving like a servant. Yes. Because he's thinking that he needs a special permission to enjoy his father. Wow. Yes. I don't know if you guys are getting what I'm saying. Yes. So what the Bible is saying to us in this verse, if you don't hold fast to what you've already learned, who Jesus is, how much he loves you, the price he paid for your redemption, the fact that he's been through death and overcome it, the fact that he has made you to become an overcomer. If you don't understand those things and hold fast to these truths, you yes be a son, you yes go to heaven, but while you're on earth, you'll be a man or a woman most miserable. You will never be able to enjoy the benefits of sonship like the older brother in Luke 15 was not able. Not because the father didn't make it available, but because he did not see himself in the true picture of who he was. And that's the problem with many Christians. We've been redeemed, born again by the blood of the Lord, uh, the, the, blood of the blood of the Lamb, but we still have such a sane mentality that keeps us away from the table. Amen? Amen. Alright. So now, verses 7 through 11. This is a very interesting passage. This passage, verses 7 through 11, is referring back to Numbers 13 and 14. 
which you and I know the story only too well, how the Israelites came to the edge or the border, if you will, of the promised land. And in getting there, Moses said, 12 spies should go spy the land and bring in report. Go to see the land and tell us what's going on there. And they came back with bad report. And the report poisoned everybody. And consequently, they were not able to go in. Number one thing you need to know. In this passage here, the Bible says God said he was angry with that generation. And as a result, they did not make it in. God is no longer angry with us. Amen. You need to settle that. When this happened, that was under the old covenant, in the Old Testament, Jesus had not come yet. God is no longer, I don't care what you did. It does not matter what you are going to do. You need to appreciate the fact that all the anger of God, past, present, and future concerning you, Jesus bought. So when you read this just now, it's not talking to you. That's what God said to them back then in that generation. That's number one. Number two, understand the reason for which God was angry. These people that we just read about in verses 7 through 11, which you can read the actual account in Numbers 13 and 14, they left Egypt. Was it on their own accord? Can anybody remember? Were they able to strangle Pharaoh and, and wrest their freedom out of Pharaoh? Were they able to do that? No. Oh. By simple instruction of God, and I'm, I'm going to use this, we're probably going to close on this end. God said put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil and every person inside the house where that is done, they're safe. The death angel will pass all through the land as long as the angel sees the blood, you're safe. So their safety, was it as a result of something that they did or it was a provision of God? Absolute provision of God. And they are believing in that provision. Don't miss that part. Because if there was a Hebrew family that night, whose DNA was sure enough Hebrew, but decided, what kind of nonsense is this? Blood on a dub was. That is barbaric, Derek. This is 2014. I'm too yuppie for that. I can't deal with blood. They're Hebrew. But if they refused and said that this is too simple or too stupid and didn't comply. Death will have visited them. Don't forget that. I'm trying to set a picture here. So by that blood, they were delivered. Marched out of Egypt. They got to the Red Sea. Pharaoh was behind them. The sea was before, before them. Were they Olympic swimmers? Michael Phelps was not there. They could not swam through the Red Sea. So how did they get delivered? Again, God delivered them. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. 
symbolic of you and my water baptism. Got to the other end. And now began to march towards their promised land. Can I correct a notion? If you ever heard that the promised land is heaven, there is no bigger lie than that. Promised land is not heaven. Banga Kemola, how do you know that? There are no giants in heaven. The promised land of Numbers 13 and 14, the sons of Anak were in the land. That's why the Israelites saw themselves as grasshoppers. Because those guys were giants. No, there are no giants in heaven. So the promised land was not intended to picture heaven. The promised land is intended to picture the abundance of God's overflowing blessings that's waiting for the people who walk in faith. Thank you. And for this abundant provision of blessings, there will be challenges. Yes. There will be spiritual forces that wants to make sure that the portion of your inheritance that belongs to you does not come to you. It's yours. But you have to contend for it from the position of victory. So the promised land represents to you and I today the superfluous flowing spiritual abundance and physical blessings that God has already provided. It is important you understand that. Because God made it clear to these Israelites where I'm taking you, it's not like where you came from. In Egypt where you came from, you irrigated the land for farming with your legs and your energy, your sweat, your toil, your own effort. But the land and the place I'm taking you to, ah, it is a place that gets the supply of rain from heaven. Hallelujah. It does not need your involvement. Thank you, I cause the rain to fall upon it. Yeah. I cause the crops to grow. Yes, Beyond you. and above that. In fact, where you are going, there are already cities built waiting for you. Glory. Oh my glory. God. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. The cities are already built. They didn't go to the promised land to start building. They didn't need architects. And I'm saying this because I'm going somewhere. Everything was already there waiting for them. Just as it is waiting for you and I now. Amen. Folks, there are only possibilities in God. Oh, I'm absolutely convinced. You're going to tell me that, uh, I don't know the name of the guy now, that founded electricity. What do you mean he founded electricity? Edison, thank you very much. So, so you think you really think electricity started when he found it? It had always been there. God was just waiting for a man who would tap some resource from God to discover it. I just wonder in my mind's eyes how much more is out there that God is waiting for you and I to tap into to bring into reality. It's already there. So these guys are marching to this promised land. They get to Kadesh Barnea. They went and spied the land and came back and said, ah, there are too many giants. We are like grasshoppers. Really? 
you are not grasshopper against Pharaoh in Egypt. When you go to the Red Sea, you are not grasshoppers. Did you deliver yourself from Pharaoh's hand? Did you deliver yourself from the Red Sea? What makes you now think that God needs you to deliver you from the, from the giants? Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, Bring it home to us. Did you save yourself? No. You couldn't. Amen. There's not an amount of money you could have paid for your salvation. Yes. It's not possible. You didn't save yourself. Now you think, now, after God has saved you and sent his son to save us, now you think your landlord will take your house away from you and, you, and we cannot sleep. Say, Pastor, what if it happens? If it happens, it's an assurance and a guarantee that God has something better for you. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I wish God would give us three or four people that would just dare God. Amen. If those guys didn't leave Egypt, they would never see what God has for them. If they just parked in Egypt, we like the leeks and the garlic and the onions. Oh, my God. Chef Derek, it is too good. If you never left one experience, you can never enter the next one. It's not possible. But please, let me just close it out by reading maybe two more verses. And I'm going to look at what it says. Verse 12. I'm going to come back to. Let, let me just read verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In other words, there are many starters, but not many finishers. Out of the generation of people that left Egypt, as far as we know, or as far as we can calculate, close to two million people. Can you imagine that only two made it in? in the heck that cannot happen? What kind of ratio is that? We all started, but at the end, only two showed up. Now, those two, plus the new generation of people that were born. So, the writer said, listen, you need to start, yes, but don't start and quit. And that quitting is not saying that you're going to go down and go to, heaven, to hell. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Quitting meaning as a son you lose the sense of your sonship and you do not enjoy the benefits of your sonship. You are a son but living like a papa. Your DNA cannot change. It doesn't matter whether I go to Afghanistan, I go to Thailand, I go to Burma, Laos, Nigeria, Puerto Rico, Caribbean, South America, I'll always be an Akimola and Akimola and Akimola. And Akimola. Why? The DNA cannot be altered. That's not going to change. 
Now, the living conditions, based on my believing system, may change. Because right believing leads to right behaving. And wrong believing leads to wrong behaving. And there are consequences for both. Okay. Verse 15. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as in the rebellion. Now look at verse 16. And I'm going to tie this all up now in the next uh, 10 minutes. Okay. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Let me just answer that before you move on. Remember the goal of this writer? is to distinguish between the supremacy right. of who Jesus is and the angels and Moses. Right. Look at what you just interjected. Yes. Right. Even Moses started, he didn't enter. Mm. So your holy Moses, wow. for whom you've built and exalted a great name as the God of Moses, even him did not enter the promised land. So why would you follow Moses? If he himself cannot get himself to the promised land. Why will I follow Moses? Or shall I say it in a better way? Why will I be following the law? When the law in all of its perfection was not enough to get Moses to the promised land. It's a new day, folks. Amen. A new dispensation. Amen. Moses did not make it. Wow. Moses did not make it. Wow. He was a great man. He was a meek man. God honored him. God used him. God blessed him. <laughs> but he came out, but he didn't get it in. Verse 17. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Okay, we need to define that sin. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Remember this, a year of rest? Now, the theme is going to begin to get developed from this point on. But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, let's, let's, just, let's just wrap it up. Let's just, let's, let, let me just nail this for us. So we see Moses didn't make it. And this entire chapter is trying to distinguish between how much glorious Jesus is than Moses. But not only that, give us the example of those that came out of Egypt with the promise of a wonderful inheritance in God's promised land, a land of flowing with milk and honey. But did not make it in. Why did he not make it in? Because in Numbers chapter 14, verse 2, you need to read it when you're home. They said, What? You're bringing us to this land to fight these giants? What will happen to our wives and our children? That was their excuse. Their excuse was their concern for their house, uh, for their household, their wives and their children. God said, oh, is that right? 
So now you esteem your wife and your children above me. I will kill all of you off. But the children that you're concerned about, they will see that, but you won't see it. Be careful what you place before God. Be careful what adults you place before God. No, you will not miss heaven if you are born again. And that's not the point. Okay? But the greater point here as we close tonight. The greater point as we close tonight. It amazes me. When you read verse 18, you think these guys did not make it because of disobedience. Is that correct? Yes. Hebrews 3.18. Give me verse 18 again. Verse 18. Look at what it says. And whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But to those who did not obey? Is that not what that scripture suggests? If you read verse 18 and you stop there, you see they did not make it in because they did not obey God. But when you look at verse 19, the submission is there. So, we see that they could not enter in because of what? Because of disobedience? Because of idolatry? Because of fornication? Because of armed robbery? There is only one thing, only one sin that will cost you and I not to inherit our promises. This is where it starts. Unbelief is what becomes disobedience. It's what becomes fornication. It's what becomes armed robbery. It's what becomes stealing. It's what becomes lying. Unbelief. One sin. You say, but pastor, this is jealous. I know them. They must have been stealing. I, they have uh, idols in their tents. God said, I'm not concerned about all of that. They didn't believe me. They did not believe in my provision. They did not believe in my ability. Folks, let me tell us something. Folks, listen, listen, listen. Your promises, your promises, the promise of God concerning you, you and I, it's not going to happen because I fast, because I pray, because I'm good, because I'm obedient. No. No. I must fast. I must pray. I must be obedient. I must be diligent. But if you think what you do or do not do is what's going to give you the promise of God, you have missed it by a boatyard. I will make it. Not because of my prayer, but because of his prayer. Yes. Amen. I will make it, not because of what I'm doing, but because of what he has done. Glory I will make it, not because of my faithfulness, but because he is faithful. Yes. So it's all about him. The whole package, the whole focus is Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus plus nothing. Why do you think he's praying now? If my prayer will do it, what is he praying about? The Bible says he forever liveth to make intercession for us. What is he praying about? Is the insurance guarantee 
Jesus is the guarantee, is the security deposit, is the NSA, is everything. My prayer is just to thank him. Say, so God, I thank you. Get me in alignment so that I'm aligned to what you already prayed for me. Oh, Jesus, I bless you for your goodness. For my God, my, my prayer is, is a, 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 I'm just blessing him for what he has done, how faithful he has been. Unbelief. Meaning, I do not believe what he has done. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I'm arguing with God. Are you going to pay my rent? I'm arguing with God. My car note is due. Did you realize that? I'm arguing with God. I mean, I need a husband. I need a wife. I need this. I need that. I'm arguing with God. Have you made, do, are you really sure you made a provision? Unbelief is not a matter of intelligence or lack of knowledge. Unbelief is, I have the knowledge. I heard what you said. But you know what? I make a decision not to believe it. You've given me the information. Go to the promised land. I heard you say it. But are you sure? Did, did you, how many miles is it? Do you know how many giants are there? So it's not, it's not a matter of you not knowing. You know. And every time I make that decision to, not, to disbelieve God, I get away from him. Because you can't be in a vacuum. Once you disbelieve, you believe something else. And then you start living in deception. Does that make sense? Because when I say, God, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. Then what I'm saying is, it will not happen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. May God help us Amen. to take him at his word. Amen. The only reason the Israelites did not enter the promised land is unbelief. Demonstrated by Moses himself. When God says, speak to the rock. I said, no, it can't be that simple. The last time we got water, we hit the rock. Now you're going to say, to just speak about That's too simple. It's too good to be true. Just to speak to the rock and water will come out. No, 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 no. Give me my rod. Wow! The arm of the flesh. God said, I know what I was saying. If you just believed me. That's it. Do you see how consistent scriptures are? Yes. When we studied the book of John, what did we say all through the book of John? Believe, 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 believe. How do you get born again? By believing. How do you possess your inheritance? By believing. That's the only way we're going to get into rest. And so, Father, we just thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for opening the scriptures to us. Thank you for giving us the language of heaven sunish as in your son Jesus being the focal point through which we think and see and talk and move and act for in him we live and move and have our being thank you for immersing us completely in the Lord Jesus Christ 
And Lord, we thank you for our unbelief tonight. Help us in our unbelief, rather. Help us in our unbelief. Every area where we need to straighten up and, 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 and recalibrate ourselves to believe in you, to trust in you, to following through with what you've given us, even at the expense of the ridicule. Yes. God, I pray, in the name of Jesus, we receive the courage and the faith of the Son of God to trust the living God that your word is your word, that you are not a man that you should lie, neither the Son of a man that you repent, because have you not said it, would you not do it? Thank you, Father God. We receive you and your word and we embrace you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You are blessed. In Jesus' name.